Welcome to the Holistic Icon Podcast, hosted by Dr. Nisha Chellam, a board-certified internist and holistic medicine specialist who understands the science of disease and the art of healing. Every week, Dr. Nisha gives you tips on how to take control of your health, because you are your best doctor. Here's your host and author of Transform Your Thyroid, Dr. Nisha Chellam. Hello everyone, good afternoon. We are a kind of a little early today. I'm Dr. Chalam and this is Marina from Holistic Icon. And you know what we're going to do today is something new. We're going to try and do this live on Instagram. So if uh, if anybody's on Instagram too, uh, hi to you guys. Um, If you don't know uh, who we are, uh, we are a functional medical practice located in Novi. And um, Many of you may know what functional medicine is and a lot of people are always confused because they think holistic medicine and functional medicine is all one thing. Um, uh, Functional medicine, I'll tell you what functional medicine is not. It is not about supplements. It is not about, um, um, what is the other thing that people do? Trying to change your diet. It's really looking at your blueprint. It's looking at what makes your body tick, what makes your health where it should be and creating that personalized lifestyle that will benefit you because everybody has a different stressor. So that's what we do. And usually a functional medical um, doctor will ask only two questions. Number one, what does this person need in order to heal? Or what does this person need to remove in order to heal? And that's our focus. And we do that through your understanding, your history, your um, blood test, and then sitting down with you and creating that um, uh, very personalized pathway as to how you can regain your health. So today's topic is going to be something that people have been asking us for a long time, which is uh, leaky gut. And I uh, really do not like to use the word leaky gut. And the reason I don't like to use the word leaky gut is I'm not really sure what a leaky gut is. But that's something that's um, thrown around all over. And I know people get um, uh, caught on a few words like adrenal fatigue, leaky gut. It's It's, nothing else. It kind of makes you sound like something is happening. Are you leaking out of your gut? I I just don't know. But we're going to go into the science behind how this term leaky gut became mainstream, um, I guess, a holistic condition. And what is leaky gut? How do you know if you have it? And what does it, why do, why do some people have it and how come other people don't have it? And you, you think, you may think it's due to diet, but a lot of people we know. Uh, do not eat healthy, but still don't have a problem with their gut. So let me tell you when you have to look at your gut health specifically and why mainstream medicine does not look at this kind of gut health. Let's say you are a person who has some some symptoms, uh, whether it be insomnia, whether it be depression, whether it be anxiety. The other thing is chronic pain, fibromyalgia, very commonly associated with leaky gut. Thyroid symptoms are very commonly associated with leaky gut. Um, And I know I'm using the word leaky gut because a lot of people understand that better than what I would like to call it as the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or SIBO or um, an imbalance in your gut bacteria. Which is really the cause of it. Yes. Mm -hmm. And, And why is there an imbalance is what we will get into. So in order for people to understand how your gut gets affected, this is what you need to understand about the gut. The gut has the most number of neurons 
as much as your brain cells. And it has three different nervous systems. You, it has the sympathetic, the parasympathetic, and it has its own specific nervous system called the enteric nervous system. So they, these are nerve cells independent of the um, sympathetic and parasympathetic lines, which come really from your spinal cord and from your brain. So to a large degree, the gut does and can function on its own. And it needs that because it is constantly bombarded by two things. Number one is the bacteria. Number two is all the stuff that goes through our mouth. And I say all the stuff that goes through our mouth, which is not just food, but also medications. And when you look at the digestive process, where does digestive process begin? I always ask this question. <laughs> Our favorite and, question. Yes. It actually begins in your brain, right? Because when you think about a specific food, your mouth begins to water. So your brain cells actually will kind of get that um, digestive juices flowing. So it kind of prepares your stomach to begin to digest food. The first po portion of physical digestion begins in your mouth. And the saliva is not just spit, but it actually has enzymes. And it has enzymes that break down your carbohydrates. Traditionally, human beings were designed to consume carbohydrates because almost 25% of your um, the brain energy really comes from carbs. It re relies on glucose, and it cannot survive without glucose. So a lot of our food was designed, um, our digestive tract is designed to break down carbs. So you have the amylase that breaks down carbs and to some degree, and it kind of really, ideally speaking, that's why we have teeth, because we're supposed to break it down both mechanically as well as chemically. How many times do you chew your food? Like 36, right? 32, actually, the number of teeth <laughs> that you have. So if you have only two teeth, you chew well, twice. No. Missing, so I can do a little less, right? That's true. No, actually, you're supposed to chew it till it becomes um, almost mushy, uh, easy to pass. So how many of us actually, when we eat, most of the times we're just biting twice and swallowing big chunks of it. So ideally speaking, you're chewing till it becomes almost like, um, I know it sounds gross, but a little soupy, goes down the esophagus. The esophagus works as a conduit between the mouth and the stomach. Now, the stomach has acid. The acid is almost 1.25 to 2.25. It's really acidic. And why is it so acidic? Because it kills the bacteria in your food. Because traditionally, man was just taking it off, pulling it off the trees, the grass, the roots, and eating. So it really kills all of the bacteria. And then it also breaks down further the protein. Now you have carbohydrates, protein broken down. And then it sends it to the first part of the small intestine, the jejunum, which through into which the duodenum actually, where you would have the bile salts as well as the pancreatic enzymes coming. Now the bile salts acts as an emulsifier to break down the fat and the pancreatic enzymes that will break down the protein further. So now you have all this broken down mushy food that goes into the small intestine because here is where most of the absorption takes place. All of your nutrients get absorbed. Food doesn't get absorbed, but nutrients get absorbed. There's a little bit bacteria there, but the, really the small intestine's job is to absorb all of the nutrients. And then the stuff that we don't use, which is most of the fiber, goes to the large intestine. And the job of the large intestine is only one thing, remove water so that the bowel movements can be 
nice and firm and actually pass through easily. If it removes too much water, you have constipation. If it removes too less water, you have diarrhea. It sounds so simple, the whole digestive process. So you can see where things can go wrong. Number one, we don't chew our food enough. We don't even sit and eat our food half the time. We're That's driving, true. so really in your brain. That is not true. even starting. I, I think we, we don't even eat when we're hungry. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest things about health and wellness is you got to have hunger. If you don't have hunger and you're just eating because it's time to have breakfast, you probably are just completely messing up your health. Mm -hmm. You got to have hunger. And then when you're hungry, you actually sit down and eat your food like it's a piece of art. You actually spend some time and... One of the biggest things, I'm going to, it's really a little bit of, a, I'm going to digress a little, which is the Mediterranean diet. Everybody talks about the Mediterranean diet. What did we get out of the Mediterranean diet? Olive oil. <laughs> and pasta, I think. Right? And, and pasta. Not, not even pasta. I think it's olive oil, yeah. seeds and nuts. But actually the Mediterranean diet, the greatest thing about it is the camaraderie mm -hmm. and collegiality. People sat down and ate together. There was so much fun. They focused on the food. They were not on Instagram like we are, or on Facebook. They were not uh, trying to look at the TV nightly news. They were not driving from one point to another and driving through the, um, going through the drive-through and getting food. They actually took time out to eat food. We look at food as uh, some kind of, um, what do you call, um, an interruption to our life. Something that we have to do. Yeah, it's something we have to do, and it's something that is an afterthought. Food is actually something that you would do as a dedicated, eating food is something dedicated. It's almost like a religion. You got to actually enjoy the food and you got to share it with others. So the things that can go wrong, number one, you don't chew. So you're not even focused. Number two, your body is not ready for digestion because you're eating because it's just time to eat. Um, you're not necessarily hungry. But if you're hungry, you're also giving food that's easy to grab and go. Then the food, the stomach um, part of it, the acid has to work on it. Most of us have issues with heartburn. A lot of people come and tell us that they yeah. grab a couple of tums or they take over-the-counter Prilosex, so you're cutting out the acid. When you cut out the acid, your food is not going to, first of all, get broken down. Mm -hmm. It didn't get broken down in your mouth because you didn't chew or you didn't give it enough time. Then in the stomach, it doesn't get broken down because the acid did not have time to break. There is not enough acid. So now you have a little more whole food going down to the small intestine. And if you've had a gallbladder removed, you're basically losing a huge part of your digestive process. And then the pancreas, if many of uh, um, folks who drink alcohol on a regular basis, your pancreatic enzymes are not really optimal. And what happens is you get this bloating sensation after a meal, then you know you have probably a pancreatic or an acid uh, problem. So you have almost whole food going to the intestines, small intestines, which really the only job they had is to take out the nutrients from the well-minced food. Now you've got these whole foods coming. It doesn't know what to do. The bacteria in the gut doesn't get fed. So it literally, the bacteria, what it does is it says, I'm not getting fed really food. So it starts eating into the lining of the small intestine. It's the small mucous membrane lining.
So this mucous membrane now has little holes and we start getting issues with food sensitivities, with um, allergies to yeah stuff. I mean, you know, uh, we say a pollen, I have allergies to grass or pollen. You should not have al- allergies to nature or nurture. Now, once you have these holes, you're now getting food particles going, which the body does not recognize. Further, the bacteria in your gut gets altered because now you don't have a good balance of good and bad bacteria. They produce what is called the LPS lipopolysaccharides, which actually causes further toxicity, this constant inflammation, and this leads to constant state of pain. So fibromyalgia, where people come and say, I have a history of fibromyalgia, you have these pain points, really begins down in the gut. So when we are looking at people with um, depression, with anxiety, with chronic pain, um, with thyroid disorders, with any autoimmune condition, we're seriously looking at their arthritis, of course, that comes under pain, right? Right? A lot of pain issues, joint pain or muscle pain. We're really looking at the gut health. And our goal should be to see is the digestive, how can we optimize the digestive process, especially people who don't have gallbladders, people who have a lot of stomach issues. Instead of trying to just give medications to manage the symptoms, we're looking at the root cause of how can we shift that gut bacteria, how can we optimize digestion so this does not become an issue and how do we get to heal the lining of the small intestine. So that is the process of how functional medical uh, approach works instead of trying to just give a whole bunch of probiotics or supplements for that matter. And so one of the interesting conditions that we have noticed in our functional medical practice is uh, we had a client who came to us with um, uh, producing alcohol without drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. Right, it's called the auto brewery syndrome. So he would just be sitting watching a movie and he would begin to smell of alcohol. He, will, uh, he would start uh, behaving like he was drunk, kind of dizzy, um, not steady on his feet. And literally when you go to a doctor, they will not believe you that you didn't drink alcohol because your alcohol level does show up mm-hmm. in the level drunken states. So when we worked with him, literally what we needed to do is change the gut bacteria. So we'll talk about what are the things that will change the gut bacteria from being unhealthy to a healthy balance. That's a very extreme case, yes. but it's a very good kind of visualization of how it progresses to that state. Right. And, you know, that is actually very unusual, but a lot of people, when you really look at symptoms of people, they do have fatigue, they do have dizziness, they feel weak. Nobody ever checks your blood alcohol level. In fact, I would say for those of you who struggle with a bloating sensation in the stomach or feel dizzy occasionally or have a lot of pain, buy a breathalyzer. It takes about 20, 25 bucks to buy a breathalyzer and check your alcohol level. Not, of course, after you drink alcohol, but after you eat a meal. A high-carbohydrate meal, which is traditionally like when you look at uh, breads or pastas and rice, that like the simple carbohydrates, you will find that sometimes your alcohol level does go up. So it's another way to look at your gut health in the extreme cases. Mm-hmm. But in traditional medicine, when you go to a doctor with this um, uh, irritable bowel, which is really what I call the dustbin diagnosis, which means we don't know what to, there's no pathology, so we call it irritable bowel. 
and then you take Bantil when you have bloating, you take Imodium if you have diarrhea, and you take Miralax if you have constipation. doesn't make any sense. You're rotating these medicines based on your symptoms. But when you get to the underlying root cause, it is really shifting your digestive health as well as your gut bacteria. For that, we need to assess the gut bacteria. Now, in traditional medicine, if you go to a gastroenterologist, they do a breath test in extreme cases. Sometimes you do a scope. Now, when you're doing a scope, you're looking at the anatomy. You're looking at, is there a problem there? The problems that we see are microscopic, which means you really look, look at the culture of the bacteria. This is why we really recommend a functional medical culture of, your, of the stool. We do recommend checking the enzyme levels, and we connect it to your story. We cannot just do the testing and not have the story. We connect it to your story. Some people have no symptoms, but really a terrible-looking um, stool test. I wanted to say crappy-looking stool <laughs> test, but that would have been a pun, but really a terrible-looking stool, stool test, right? And then we work on literally the only way to shift this is to work on your diet. And I think both of us have mentioned this before. A high-fiber diet is the solution to most problems. One thing to mention, though, too, is stress can actually contribute a ton to these kinds of issues. And, you know, we always do kind of look at diet and all these other things, but stress will kill your gut bacteria off. Pretty much, yes. And I have to emphasize any form of stress, physical, chemical, and emotional, all of them do impact your gut bacteria. And um, we find that people who eat healthy, like we have yoga teachers and instructors who will eat healthy, who will meditate, who will do all of this, they actually have a pretty much toned gut if they have a lot of stressors. So you really have to focus on managing your stress. If you're one of those that really blows things out of proportion or is uh, surrounded by toxicity, whether it be a, um, like uh, you have the financial, what do you call those bankers in Wall Street? Um, I forget uh, the I kind of... I nice words. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, they're like the stockbrokers on the floor. They have a very high stress job. Uh, people who have high stress jobs, high stress relationships, um, uh, pretty much any uh, other form of stress, your gut is getting torn each time the cortisol goes up. Your gut bacteria shifts. Um, so anytime you have gut inflammation or symptoms, you really need to work on getting that resolved. If you don't do that, what really happens is that's what progresses into chronic disease processes. And I think a lot of people, we just ignore it. When I uh, talk to people when they come for the annual physical exam and you're just asking them, so do you go, when you do the review of system in traditional medicine, heartburn is a very common mm -hmm. symptom. And most people say, oh, I just take over-the-counter prolosic and then I'm good, and I avoid spicy food, I avoid this, I avoid that, or when I have this, I take this. Mm -hmm. That's not how life should be. We should have a good, robust digestive system, a robust gut uh, bacteria, good balance between the good and the bad, so that we can actually live our lives normally and not have to worry about avoiding foods that you actually would um, need to eat. So what do people avoid? They avoid spices, um, which are actually nature's way of giving us medicine. They, uh, they literally eat bland food. And so they never get to uh, really enjoy food. Then they start eating the same food on a regular basis, which does not give you the variety that you need. Because the gut bacteria, the biggest thing for health is the diversity of the bacteria.
You got to have a good, we have about 16 trillion bacteria. And if they're all of one kind, this happens to people who are sensitive to food. They start eating only one kind of food. They'll say, I can't eat tomatoes. I can't eat gluten. I can't eat dairy. And then they start eliminating everything. And then all they are eating is chicken or turkey mm -hmm. and some broccoli. It doesn't give you that by the, the wide variety of uh, bacteria and the diversity is very important. So think of the gut like a city. A city needs um, city workers like you'd have need janitors. You need a CEO um, like the mayor or you need um, doctors. You need engineers. You need nurses. You need teachers. You need firefighters. Workers. All of those, right? Now, if you start saying, oh, I'm just going to eliminate everybody, only engineers are going to be there, we're in trouble. Not, nothing bad about engineers. Same thing, if you have just doctors, we're in trouble. So we really need the diversity in a city. We need the diversity in our gut bacteria. So the focus should be how do you create the diversity is only by whole foods, plant-based, something that's seasonal, something that's local. Because when you start buying food that's not in season, like tomatoes in the middle of winter, which has driven 2,000 miles to get on your plate, you pretty much are destroying your gut bacteria. So I cannot emphasize how much food will impact stress will impact um, even viral infections after you'll find people's uh, gut uh, health gets completely destroyed after about a viral infection. Mm -hmm. so if you have symptoms after you've been sick, that's yep. a good indication that you need to look at your gut health. Yeah, and you, in fact, they would, like uh, pregnancy could be a huge stressor. Yeah. Something shifts soon after pregnancy because it's a huge stressor. So I guess the purpose of us talking to you about the gut is to understand all disease begins in your gut. If you have gut symptoms, um, people say, you know, I'm basically healthy, but when you ask them how many bowel movements do you have in a day, they'll say, oh, I just go once in two days. Mm -hmm. That's not normal. Let me explain to you. That is not normal under any circumstances. It's not like you're cooking something and your uh, sink disposal just works once in two days. No. It's got to work every time. I so, take that trash out. <laughs> yeah. You got to get, that's a form of getting rid of what your body has rejected. If it stays in the system, there's something that calls, it's like a second cycle, and that's what clogs up your liver, and your liver is the biggest and strongest detox organ, and the whole thing can get messed up. So that's pretty much about gut health. I see a few people, and if there are any questions, I'll be happy to answer them. Uh, let's see if there's anybody's got any questions. That's why, hey. like, all of, you know, the diseases or symptoms they're talking about, there are you know, anxiety and depression and liver and thyroid. Like these are all things that you think are not connected, but it's all connected in the gut. So you always really the first place to look is gut health. Right. If your gut's not healthy, nothing else in your body is going to be healthy. And you know, it's very important to understand when you do, when you assess a person, you got to look at their story. You got to look at their blood work and you definitely have to look at their stool test. To actually address a person's health with um, not looking at their gut, I don't think is a complete assessment. I've, I've come to believe this because of the work that we do in our office. It's pretty much if I cannot fix a person's gut, and let me tell you, gut fixing is not easy. A lot of times, you trans, you actually, the gut bacteria a child inherits, inherits the gut bacteria from the, from the mother. That's why you see sometimes grandparents are far more healthier than grandkids because the gut bacteria has gotten um, 
what do you call destroyed through by the lifestyle of the next mm -hmm. uh, generations. So you'll find even though grandparents don't necessarily eat healthy, they've destroyed it for the next two generations. So it's very important. And I think this is going to be the generation that's going to destroy it for our kids because we have more processed foods. We have the most diet fads. Oh, my God, I cannot even go into the diet fads, the paleo, the uh, keto diet right now, intermittent fasting. We have all these fads that we are getting into. The bottom line is we need to eat whole foods that is locally grown. If it's not locally grown, like in Michigan in winter, we have only two vegetables. It's, I think, rutabaga and some other leafy vegetable that's available through winter, which is all the way from December all the way till March. So in the, these instances, that's why in the past people would have their own summer garden, can the foods or fresh freeze it, so they could have it during the winter. But most of us, what we do, we think going to the grocery store, buying fresh vegetables, which are not in season, which are not local, is as bad for your gut health as it is um, not you know, eating processed food. So I, I think that's another one that we want to emphasize. Eat local, eat a lot of green. And uh, I have a question here. What's uh, a good liver cleanse through diet, or is there a good cleanse you can buy? So to answer that question, really, you, you buy a cleanse if you have a disease process. But in general, cruciferous vegetables are a great way to open up the liver. Now, again, I would ex really emphasize here, guys, health is like um, you have to be consistent. And somebody made this statement. I saw it, um, um, one of the groups that I am in. Would you cheat on your spouse once in a while? And the answer is no. You're consistently faithful if you're in a marriage. And that's how it should be with nutrition. You don't go on and off track. You are consistent with your diet. You're consistently respecting your body. So when it comes to a liver cleanse, the time you do a liver cleanse is if you're a very heavy drinker, you went on vacation or you were at a wedding and could not eat anything else, just what they had, or you splurged that occasional time, though I do um, you know, emphasize if it's feasible, try not to do it. But when you want to do a gut cleanse, really get on a high cruciferous diet, drink plenty of water. And there are some supplements you can use like milk thistle. And yes, you can actually buy um, liver flushes, but they are usually not effective long term. Um, the long term is pretty much your lifestyle. Um, so I hope I answered that question. Somebody had posed that. Are there any other questions that I can actually answer? I don't think anybody on Instagram has any other questions, um, or do they have any? Somebody is waving. Acknowledge your reply. I know. We are, uh, I've never had. Um, uh, so hopefully I've answered all those questions about uh, gut health. Um, so uh, I'm going to summarize like I always do. Number one. Uh, your digestive system has to be robust. So if you have any symptoms, make sure you work on the gut health with someone who understands gut health well. Um, there are no quick um, fixes for it. We really have to work on your gut bacteria, on your digestive enzyme, on your stressors, and, of course, on your nutrition. The bottom line, if you want to really understand how to uh, get your gut health in order, is just a high-fiber diet, which is a whole food, plant, strong diet. And also and eliminating your stressors, your, you know, your food stressors. So if you do have a dairy sensitivity or a gluten sensitivity or whatever it may be, 
if you're consistently eating that, no matter how many vegetables you eat, you're not going to be able to negate the bad stuff that you're putting into your body that's not able to deal with right now. You know, that's a very good point because people tend to take uh, lactate mm -hmm. pills or lactose. If you have a sensitivity, stay away from it. That means your gut, each time you eat it, is struggling to heal from this insult. This is exactly like you're insulting it and it's trying to recover from it. And let's say you have gluten sensitivity. You expose yourself to gluten and saying, you know, I've been really good for six months. For another six weeks, that inflammatory cycle lasts. So it's extremely important to understand your food sensitivities and stick to it. Stick to your healthy eating so uh, long term. Test, even some blood tests you can show, you know, we can see where that inflammation is. Yeah, we actually do food sensitivities, we do stool tests, and we do our blood tests, all of that which points towards either inflammation or food sensitivity. And do, uh, it, it, this is really a science. There's a science behind this. This is not uh, something you just, uh, it's a fad. Um, and when you have a food sensitivity, it doesn't mean that you cannot have it for the rest of your life. It means your gut needs to heal, and it may take anywhere from 18 months to three years for it to heal so you can actually eat food um, with a little bit of gluten. For instance, corn is a natural product, but if you have gluten sensitivity, sometimes you have cross-reaction with corn. So it really, to, eat, to get back to eating corn, it might take you 18 months to three years. Again, you have to know your body. So the best way to know is when you eat something, if you have joint pains, you probably have a problem with the food sensitivity. I hope I've answered most of those questions that you have, and I think we will wrap up the session with um, a nutrition tip for the week. Yep. So, what do you have? Uh, our little food spotlight today is going to be an okra. So since we were talking all about this digestion, okra is a really great vegetable for digestion. Um, anybody who's eaten okra knows it gets kind of mucusy, yes. for lack of a better word. And I think that's a consistency problem. A lot of people don't like it because that's of true. that. But, mm -hmm. I mean, if you put a lot in different foods, it actually kind of makes more of like a sauce for mm -hmm. it. And so if you put some spices in there, you get the sauce. You don't have to, like, you know, use butter or oil or whatever. But um, so that fibrous mucus actually helps to move things through your digestive tract. Yes. Um, so it actually helps with constipation, bloating, all these symptoms that we talked about. The other thing, though, that that does is it actually lines your stomach. Mm -hmm. So if you have an H. pylori infection, which we didn't really talk about too much here, but that's also another cause yes. of a lot of gut symptoms, mm -hmm. it will actually bind to the H. pylori and get rid of it. And it lines that stomach, so you, you have, like, gastritis, inflammation in your stomach. It helps to lower that. Yes. And when you look at the H. pylori, um, actually that infection, it, it is something, it's, a, uh, it's something that you can find in the stomach, but when it causes an infection, it can put you at a higher risk for cancers too. So it's extremely important to address that. If you have, that's why we do the stool test. Um, with uh, okra, you can actually bake it also if you want it a little yeah. more crisper. But okra juice, the raw okra juice actually does what she tells um, the lining of the mucus, uh, the, the intestines. And it's actually very medicinal for a lot of metabolic disorders, particularly yeah. for diabetes. Yeah. So it's something, yes, a lot of people don't like it because of the consistency. But again, the more you don't like something, that's probably very healthy for you. Um, so is there anything else? Um, so I don't think there are any other questions. So thank you once again for joining us. And we will continue to answer questions if you post them. Um, and welcome to our um, podcast, which will be here um, every Wednesday at around 3.30 on Facebook, unless we have uh, technical issues. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. See you next week.
thank you for joining us on the Holistic Icon Podcast. Subscribe for the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes or visit holisticicon.com to listen to past episodes. Want to take control of your health and live a life of wellness? Dr. Chellen's best-selling book, Transform Your Thyroid, teaches you how to overcome fatigue, depression, weight gain, and more, and is available on amazon.com.